Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event. Fight fans worldwide, you've tuned into the number one undisputed boxing podcast today. This is the Boxing Breakdown. Now, your heavy-handed, hard-hitting host, Mark Roxy. What's up, what's up, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Breakdown. And we are excited that you are with us again tonight here. We are fortunate to have another episode. And without further ado, I'm going to invite my guests on in. Come on in, everybody. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's How's, up? What's up, man? Yeah, man. So uh, I'm good. I'm doing good, everyone. It's it's uh, a pleasure to see you guys. I know the, the uh, listeners are going to uh, really uh, get into this podcast and enjoy what we have to talk about tonight. And up to the right corner of the screen, we have Mr. Paul S. Haberman, Esquire. What's up? What's up? How are you? Good to be back. Yeah, and down on the lower left, we have Mr. John Maresca, manager, boxing manager extraordinaire. What's up? What's up? What's up? Thanks for having me back as well. <laughs> and uh, the man that needs no introduction on the bottom okay. right corner is... Mr. Harold Hunt, professional boxing judge and co-host of the Boxing Breakdown. What's up? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, brother. I'm good. I'm good. And and again, here we go. Let's get started. Buckle up. Let's get into the the. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, man. We have not been on the air for a while, um, and there's been a lot of stuff going on in boxing. Oh. oh all of us have been extremely busy and we've been blowing up each other's phones. And, and, and I know Harold, we've been talking back and forth. Oh my gosh, we got to get on. We got to get on because there's a lot to talk about. So let's get started with Ryan Garcia, Harold. What you got Ryan Garcia? Well, Ryan looked really good, man. I was really surprised. I thought he would have a little more ring rust. He wasn't as sharp as he needed to be, but he had a point who really didn't want to engage with him too much. Initially, he came out. He thought he could, but he he stayed away. But Ryan worked on some stuff. I I thought I thought he got a chance to really uh, meld with his his trainer. Uh, he got kind of kind of chance to move around a little bit. He still has the jab. He still has a little uh, moxie about him. So uh, it wasn't a really bad performance for someone who had been off for that amount of time. Yeah. He seemed mentally stable to me uh, in the way that he took his direction and how he stuck with the game plan. And even though he was being frustrated by the way the other guy was fighting, you know, wouldn't engage and, and constantly uh, trying to stay out the way, he still uh, stayed uh, on par. Uh, he didn't appear frustrated. So for that, I credit his new trainer, yeah. Mr. Goosen. Yeah, Joe Goosen, Joe Goosen, Joe Goosen. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I, I don't... I, I mean, does anybody else have an opinion on that fight? Because, well, first of all, let's just say this before I get your opinions. Uh, Ryan Garcia is 22-0. and 0. He's got 18 KOs, right? And as um, Harold so eloquently mentioned, uh, he has a new trainer in Joe Goosen. And if you guys out there 
are not uh, fully abreast of what's going on in the backside of boxing. Um, he recently had a fight against Emmanuel Tago, and uh, he won a unanimous uh, decision uh, against uh, Tago, and it was it was a performance. I mean, uh, John, what do you think about the performance? I mean, I think it served its purpose. He got a W. He got to uh, get his feet wet with his new trainer. And also, he was fighting somebody who didn't really want to fight. That kind of went into survival mode after maybe the sixth round or so. Mm. So all things considered, I mean, he got a W. He got him got a little, you know, back in the mix immediately. And it, it absolutely served its purpose. And that's that. Right. Well, that was well said. It served its purpose. And... um so, Paul, do you have an opinion on that that performance? That was actually the, the one card I did not get to watch um, this past weekend. I read the result, which seems to coincide with what they were uh, talking about there. Uh, it sounds like he got some good work. Uh, it sounds like, to, to their point, it served its purpose. He got some good work in, went the distance against the guy, at least with a good record. It sounds like he fought very negatively, got into rhythm with his new trainer, knocked off rust. Yeah. I don't see a downside. We couldn't get him all the way back because he was also one of the bigger social media presences when he was active at a time when a lot of fighters seemed to not be marketing themselves that well. He was doing it admirably, and I'd like to see him get back to uh, regular activity and, uh, and uh, you know, his stature uh, as a you know, something of a social media sensation that actually has substance, which is nice to see. And out of sight, out of mind, now he's back in sight. Yeah, you know, well, you know, you know I mean, I, on the other hand, if, if, if I may submit, <clears throat> I think the Ryan Garcia performance was uh, uh, very telling. I, I was not super impressed with, uh, you know, the work. I, I felt he was kind of stiff. I didn't see any head movement. And, and I, there are some things there to be concerned about. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that, but, but that's, you know, that's where I'll leave that. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you saw being, uh, you know, of your ilk. However, um, he didn't have to move his head. He didn't have to do anything. Uh, he didn't have to be defensive. He didn't have to do any of those things. So we didn't get to see any of that. My right. main takeaway was he did not get frustrated. And that happens when you have a long layoff. Yeah. Even Earl was frustrated in the first three rounds with Ugas. Right. Well, yeah. that's a good point. That's a very good point, Harold. I mean, I, I can't say that he got frustrated. That was not in the picture. Um, but you know, it wasn't it wasn't a an outstanding performance. Sure enough to get your feet wet again and get back into the into the ring. I get it. Um it'll be interesting to see what comes down the pike next. What do you think's next for Ryan Garcia? Anybody? Well, he got a commercial. I'll tell you that. He's got a, a Gatorade commercial with uh, the basketball player. Um, <laughs> it's getting heavy rotation right now. Right. And, um, you know, now he's being force fed back to us again. Hmm. And it was just, the frustrating part is, like you say, we can't predict what's next is we got a bunch of great fighters hovering within a weight class of each other and they just won't fight each other. Right. So we can, you know, predict all day, but they're just, I just don't see any desire to fight each other. I don't know what they're waiting for. Maybe they think it'll be a little more lucrative with some more wins, some more titles, but I mean, they're going to start getting losses on their uh, ledgers. If they don't be careful, it's going to be Gamboa and Wama all over again. They were offered 500 <laughs> bucks to fight. Right. didn't do it and it just fell apart. And uh, I, I think they're going to be in a similar situation sooner than later. 
unless they start taking some strides to get into the ring together. Right. I mean, these guys start facing each other like they could. I mean, you could be, I mean, these guys seem to have enough talent, each one of them to be like another Trinidad, Whitaker, Quartze, De La Hoya sort of lineup. Yeah. But to your point, they're just not making them yet. So. Well, I think the overall climate of boxing is changing. We've had unification. We've got two or three unifications coming up. You're going to have the other fighters who are going to want to be in that kind of limelight kind of situation. And as everyone knows, if one fighter says, I want to fight you, and the one says, I want to fight you, and they go on public record and say they want to fight each other, everybody who's affiliated with those two guys are going to make it happen because they said so publicly. So with all these unifications coming up, up, up I think that these other fighters – uh, Garcia and all these other guys going to say, I want that opportunity. I want to, to to take the same kind of steps as those guys are taking. So I'm thinking this year, this next two years, we're going to see a lot of these guys who were hiding from each other change just because the bigger fish, if you will, are starting to fight each other. The Charlo, the, the, uh, the Spence, you know, you've got uh, Canelo out there. Uh, you've got even the ladies are, are, are undisputing. Uh, Franchon, she's undisputed. Uh, you've right. got some other things happening. So I think that pressure is going to cause the other guys who have been, you know, hiding to come out. Right. Exactly. To to expand on that, basically, when you can see competitive fights, people are not going to watch these guys in non-competitive fights. So you're right. They're going to have to step it up. They're going to have no choice. They're going to become irrelevant because there's too many good fights to watch to put up with this much longer. And they're going to they're going to they're going to take themselves right out of the mix if they don't start you know, taking these fights. Yeah, well, well. Speaking of good fights, uh, <clears throat> let's let's just go right into first gear here. How about the towering infer- uh, inferno, Sebastian Fundura? Did you guys see that fight? That guy's a rough customer. I, I did, I did, I did. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, I mean, uh, so so we're talking about the the uh, Erickson Lubin against. Uh, Sebastian Fondura, it was a fight that took place on uh, April 9th, Saturday, April 9th on Showtime. And um, yeah, man, that was something. And he he's a really unusual specimen. As he is, definitely. Uh, Lubin knew he had to get inside those that reach. But there was no reach to get inside because that tall man fights on the inside. So he stood in there with him. You know, and he lost at that type of uh, a discipline. He simply got beat up inside you know, <laughs> that he, you know, he did. Now, I got to give it to uh, uh, Fondor, if I pronounce that correctly, mm-hmm. his discipline and taking that knee when he got hurt, you know, and being able to 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 get a, get around and get back into his rhythm. Right. Uh, usually, you know, all you guys know when a fighter gets, you know, hurts another fighter, he's vulnerable because he's going in for the kill. Uh, right. So when he got hurt, he was smart enough to do that. And I was impressed with that. But maybe if Fondor can ever use that reach advantage somewhat, just somewhat <laughs> when he's hurt or when he's, when he's in a situation, just, just so he can breathe himself and then go back to what he does well, which he does fight very well on the inside. And uh. He's built up a little more. His legs are a little thicker. You know, uh, his, his punches are, 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 are you know, they, they're torqued correctly. I mean, I'm really liking him because I remember when he was kind of a little wild, but he seemed okay. And Lubin fought very well. He fought the <clears> best <throat> he could. Oh, he was in oh. situation this other guy was just better. You know, and you, know the, you just said it. The funniest part about it is the only possible strategy to have is to get inside 
But unfortunately, that's the worst strategy to have because you get there and he <laughs> likes to bang on the inside. So you you can't you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. It, it's it's yeah. a it's a tough situation. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Fondura was down in round two. So he went down uh, in round two. Oh, no, Lubin was down in round two. And then Fondura was down in, in round seven, seven of the fight, right? Is that right? And um, and the and the fight only went nine rounds. So, you know, I mean, it was a hell of a fight. And, and um, you know, I, I just I just can't can't underscore you know, how does this big guy fight on the inside what's, like that? What's, what's, what's the ultimate payoff for him at this point? What are we looking at? What's the fight down the road or sooner than later? He's what's a the- mandatory. He's a mando for who? Who? What, 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 what weight class is that? Uh, but he's a mando. He is a mando at this point for somebody there. Well, it's a so super. There's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's real close. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's super Walter weight. So, you know. 154. Yeah. 154. Yeah. Just a historical question. Do you guys know if he started at 154 his pro career? I don't, I don't immediately know the answer. I just I feel think like he moved down in weight, to be honest. I think he started yeah. a little yeah. bit higher. So in 2016, he started his, his, uh, he started at 162. And then he yeah. fought his second okay. fight. Okay. His second pro fight was at 172.4. Uh, I mean, and a quarter. Uh, he dropped to 159, then he dropped to 147, fought back up at 59. He's been floating around at 55. Um, most of his fights were from 50 to 55. And uh, yeah, 52, 53. And then his most recent fight was at 153 and a quarter. So, yeah. Actually, an interesting approach because I feel like there's certain guys that have, if they have that much of a height or dimension advantage, they'd start to the question would be how long they could keep it down their weight, but it seems like he's already experimented in a couple of weight classes intentionally or otherwise. Maybe this is just comfortable when that's a dangerous proposition for anybody who might be fighting for a title. If this is where he feels like he could cut weight and be the most effective because he looked very effective held at the end of the day. Well, he's six foot five for y'all listening out there. He's 24 years old. He's six point. He's six, six foot five. I mean, things are going to get real for him pretty soon. At 154. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just to side that whole family is just the nicest family in the world. I used to see them when they were just starting out on some of the, basically like the, not the, not the, not the club shows, but like the smaller shows for the bigger promoters that were, you know, in association with or run for somebody else for them. Yeah. They, that whole family is just the nicest family you, you can't imagine. I mean, so I watched them. You just wish them nothing but the best. And I hope he goes really, really far. Yeah. And, you know, when you first see them at that level, you don't know what's going to happen. But I'm, you know, every time I see him take another step up the ladder, I'm, I'm really excited for him. He, he deserves it. And he's just a humble guy. Yeah. He's if 65, uh, 65% KO ratio too, you guys. So, you know, I mean, he can, he can put it out there. If, if I'm media, I'm loving him just because of his height and how I can frame all that, uh, you know, he's really, you know, popular just because of his height. I can, I can see all the work that can be done behind him whenever he does a fight. Yeah. He's positively box Rex got him ranked at number three behind uh, Brian Castaño and Jamal Charlo. So I guess he's going to maybe get the winner of that or maybe fight, fight down to Tim zoo. Well, that's what they were speculating. He would be the Mando for uh, Charlo. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that, I'd like to see that fight. 
I mean, considering it's a good fight, right? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I don't know too much about the Castano fight. If that's a good fight. Cause you know, according to Castano's last fight, um, you know, this Castano, some people thought that he beat Charlo. So, you know, that was a very, um, good fight. You know, he, he did a good you showing know, for the, himself. The, the funny thing, I think the, the smaller Charlo, I don't know what it is. I, he just looks unmotivated at times. I think every fight he's been in where it's been a, like the loss, who was the guy who beat him? Then he ended up knocking him out. I just think he gets bored. I don't think, <laughs> I, I think he's the better fighter in those fights and he just gets either outworked or something happens. Cause I, I, I think he's very, 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 very talented. Yeah. I just think it's a motivation thing or he, or whatever it might be. I, I don't know. I can't figure him out. Well, this time he's definitely got the motivation, you know, because it was postponed. There was all the scuttlebutt about uh, the other guy wasn't really hurt. Uh, then he went on social media and said this and said that. And uh, Charles is a very volatile type of individual. His 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 ego is out of this world. Uh, he feels you know disrespected and all of that. And as you know, as a fighter, you know you feed on that type of thing for your training and for your upcoming fights. So he's had his feel of all of that. So if he's unmotivated, I'd be very surprised because he got that 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 cup feel when the first fight was. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the the rematch was put off. I'm just maybe not anymore, but I'm just saying in, in his prior you know hiccups where he has the loss and the draw, I just find that he I thought he was the better fighter on both of those by a big margin. I think he got either outworked or whatever the case was. I don't know what you want to call it. Unmotivated, just right. fell asleep in his fights, whatever. I think he was <clears throat> clearly the better fighter in those fights. Well, so speaking of better fighter, let's, let's get into this, uh, Mar- uh, Marlon, uh, Esparza and, yes. uh, Nakio, how do you say her name? Nakio Fu- Fujika or something like that. Did you guys see that fight? Yes, I, I saw I saw that fight. What did you think of that fight? It was well, closer than the cards. Tell talk tell me more. Tell me more. Uh so I mean, yeah, it was close. They're they're, they're I mean they're they're setting her up for the Sinisa Estrada rematch. Clearly <laughs> that's the goal. So they I mean she was gonna get that. Any anything that was close, she was gonna get as far as the rounds go. Right. And basically that's the money fight they're thinking down the road. So they want to get her back. She's done nothing to get. I mean, she's a little bit better, but the the difference in talent in the first Estrada fight was she didn't win a single round, and I don't think she's gotten in anywhere. You know, I, I don't think the talent's grown at all. I mean, so they have to make her look as good as possible to try to sell the fight, which they did a great job of doing. And the cards were absolutely ridiculous. I thought, I thought she might have round won by two rounds. I mean, I think one of the cards had her winning every single round. Right. So. You know, I think they had a little bit of an agenda, which I understand. Yeah, um, yeah, two judges had her winning every round. So nah, uh, it was kind of a slap in the face to the Japanese fighter. However, um, how did you have it yourself? Like as a judge, how did you see it? Well, she was scoring off the back foot. And as you know, unless you have to discipline as a judge, you know, boxing, you know that it's about scoring. It's not about who's going forward. You know, it's effective aggressiveness. You can be aggressive, not be effective. So as I watched the fight, I saw her scoring enough to win the rounds to mm. win the fight. OK, but, you know, a, a layman is going to see, well, he, she was all the Japanese fight was all over her. She should have, you know, she she was robbed, but she wasn't. She got hit cleanly, uh, scoring punches. 
scoring area, the usual discipline as being a judge. So I'm not ex- upset about it because I saw what I saw being who I am. So I was good with it. But moving <laughs> forward, I don't believe, you know, that her skill set is, is, is any better, as you said earlier. She she won she won the fight absolutely. I just think she I don't think she won every round. I just think some rounds she didn't do enough to win them. Even the aggressive, this kind of, I would say later in the fight, maybe like six, seven, and eight. I don't think she did enough, and I think she let mm. her get back into the fight a little bit. She was never she was never in the fight. She was like not out of it, but not in it. You know you know what I mean. That happens all the time. Where you know maybe she who who knows what it was, but I think. She she had her moments. She probably won three rounds at right. best. Asparza won seven rounds <clears throat> easily. Well, the judges and, you know, judges but- had it. The three judges had it 190, uh, 97, 93, and 190. 97, 93, I, I think is about right. That was, yeah, that was more, more accurate than 90, uh, 190. Right somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think she got robbed. I don't, I know she didn't win the fight, but I, I think she did enough in maybe two or three rounds to win those rounds. So she was, it wasn't going to make a difference anyway, but I think she did manage to win at least two or three rounds. Well, Mara, uh, she's basically 12, 12 and one with one KO. So, what what's next for her? Um, oh, they're, they're trying to make the Sinisa Estrada fight. That's the whole goal. They've been you know putting him on the same show. Sinisa does her commentary. They had him. They had each other in the arena when it was time, and that's that's the one they're trying to do. So that's going to be the uh, as far as another ass whooping. So that'll be that <laughs> end of her. Okay. <laughs> wow. I ask you guys just a, a question: Who is the pound for pound biggest puncher in women's boxing right now? In your opinion? Or just based on the numbers. It's well on the numbers, it's the uh her name escapes me. She has what 31 fights and like 20 something knockouts or something. She is definitely up there. I, her name escapes me right now. I see her face, but yeah, she has the highest ratio if you want to look at it like that. Okay, okay. There's, there's not a lot of one punch power in the in the in the women's ranks, you know. And right, that's, and right. that's fine. That's fine. I just always remember back to the when I was watching back in the my college years, Vonda Ward and Ann Wolf, I'm like, where are those explosive? Ann Wolf was a whole different story. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's someone you know. Well, what about the coal miner? What about the coal miner's daughter? Coal miner's daughter. She stayed away yeah, from me too. Correct too. Yeah. You don't, don't want to be messing with Ann Wolf. Yeah, <laughs> neither one of them wanted to fight Ann Wolf. Neither one of them. And I don't blame them. <laughs> and her, her career was cut short because she couldn't get that big those big fights. So yep. so right, pound right. for pound, um, you know that she was in the Wonder Woman movies. You know that was she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, she okay. got she made, she made nice money in the one. She's a nice lady too. Like I, who's I don't it, know who's, her well at all. Who was in the Wonder Woman? And Wolf is in the Wonder Woman movies. Oh yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, watch them again. You'll see her. She's in there. She got a credited role. So Paul. Just to touch base, yeah. just to get back to your question, um, okay. this is an unofficial pound for pound list, right? But you got Katie Taylor number one, mm-hmm. Amanda Serrano number two, Sinisa Estrada number three, Delphine Person number four, Marlon Asparza number five, and guess who's number six? I gotta add her, Michaela Meyer. Where six. was uh, Shields? 
Oh man, she's number ten, and then followed by Alicia Baumgartner, which those are ten. two sleepers, man. I mean, Baumgartner. How could she be ten? I know. How could Baumgartner be eleven? She just won a title, I think. But Shields, Shields is in a top four. I mean, no matter how you, if you, you're her worst enemy, you don't put her in a top four. There's something wrong. Well, and if she's not above Esparza, I'm crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, Esparza has a lopsided loss on her record. Shields has not even been. <clears throat> She's beaten girl. She beat the hammer girl and everyone else they threw at her. Yeah. How many titles does she have? She has like 13 fights and eight titles. Yeah, she's undefeated. <laughs> I don't know. She number 10? I don't know why she's ranked number 10. Uh, but you know, I'm not gonna cite the, the source. But you know, I mean that that ranking, you know, could shift by, you know, whoever's doing the rankings, right? So you know how that works, right? We're gonna talk about that later on tonight, aren't we? <laughs> right, Paul? Yes, indeed. Oh uh, boy! So, um, real quick, make sure I wasn't missing like some sort of Bernie Shavers type female out there that just isn't getting the right uh, airplay. Yeah. Hey, hey, she is somewhere. She's somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So okay. let's take a moment and have a look ahead uh, in major boxing events that are coming up. Um, I'm sure How you about guys. Spence Ugas. We're not going to talk about that. Well, no, we're gonna, that. we're going to get in there. We're not there yet. We got an agenda, man. We got an agenda that's coming. That's coming. But this is just a little fill for the fans out there because I, they want to know what's coming up. And uh, so on April 30th in New York city on the zone, we got the Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano fight. That's a big one. Are we supposed to be going to that fight by the way? Yes, Mark. You gotta let me know for sure. Cause we're going to have special seats and uh, well, we'll, we'll get to spend a little time with Sinisa. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. I'll be there as well. One of my clients is in the co-feasures. So Perfect. So good. So um, in Las Vegas on May 7th, we've got Canelo Alvarez versus Dimitri Bival. Ho, 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 ho. Comments? Well, we're looking at uh, opportunity for him to, you know, put himself in the, in the record books. Oof. I really think he, it's going to be an easy fight for him. I don't really see any opposition really maybe – two or three rounds, but once he gets inside, it's basically right. over. Uh, I watched both of them extensively the past couple of weeks, you know, back to back to back, yeah. all their fights, try to find what particular style is similar to each other as they fought in their career. And Canelo's just so far ahead uh, of his curve. It's, it's not even funny. So yeah. it's going to be, you know, it's nice hype and, and it's going to look good and all that, but he'll win easily. My concern is, as I said last time for, him to drop from 75 to 68 because now he has to fight our boy GGG. Ah. So he's got to drop that weight. Yeah. Now, well, maybe he can get out of his contract and not honor that third, that second fight and stay there at 75 and go get B-Ball. Mm. Well, I don't know. B-Ball, rather. I don't know. Well, if the plot thickens, I'm sure there's going to be well, a I, lot I of think, news. Yeah, I, I think you're right about it. I think, I think B-Ball is just a little too slow. He's that he can't overcome that. He's going to be Canelo's going to be, you know, yeah. just so much faster. Yeah. It's just you're physically outmatched, and, and that's going to be the problem <clears> in this one. So I mean, I, I guess there's always a chance at a lucky punch. He's technically the bigger guy on paper, but it's going to be a very tough uh, uh, proposition. I think. Okay, I, this I, is I a hard time. You know, this is a big one, you guys. Oh, good. May fourteenth, Jermel Charlo versus Brian Castan. Castano, the rematch. 
12 rounds for the WBC, IVF, and WBA junior middleweight title. And, oh, and, and, and Castaño's WBO junior middleweight title as well. That's on the line as well. That's a big one coming up, man. After that, we've got the David. Uh, actually, May 21st, we've got David Benavides uh, versus David Lemieux. That should be a very good fight. Folks, that should be in every fight with just on his punching power alone. He can, he's the one guy out there capable of scoring a a Buster Douglas type upset because of that power. Oh, yeah. You're talking about Lemieux. Lemieux is a good fighter, man. Yeah. I've been watching him for years. I think he's dropped a few notches, though. I mean, he's taken some, some losses, uh, yeah, uh, in a row kind. I think his, but he's still always going to have that power and he can catch anybody on any given night. I think his stock has dropped a little bit. I think he's a little bit past his prime, but yeah. he's always dangerous is the best way to put it. So Paul, hey, what, you got? what you got, Paul? <laughs> yeah. Paul's yeah. like, what you got about that? Oh, I mean, Lemieux, uh, yeah, I just got to say, that's like a puncher's delight as long as it lasts. But I tend to think Lemieux <laughs> lost a step in the last, last couple of fights too. So yeah. I mean, say- he's going to go hard while he's there, but he might get caught in the process. So. Yeah. But the only thing I can say about that is we know uh, Benavides goes straight back. He goes straight back. He doesn't go to his right or his left when he's retreating or he's being attacked. He goes straight back. So when you have someone with with punching power who's going to punch straight down the line, Benavides can get hit just because he doesn't have that discipline to move left or right when he's backing off. So with that, yes, he can get hit and get hurt and get stopped just because he he doesn't do that. Right. So that's that's going to be an interesting thing. Now, if he goes in there, he's moving like he's supposed to be. Now, when you're in a firefight, you forget all all your training. You know how that goes. You remember what you was taught from day one. <laughs> and if he was taught from day one not to, to go back, I mean, if he didn't get to discipline to go, you know, not to go straight back, uh, he's going to do, he's going to resort to that. Right. You know, so, yes, I I, I, I agree with, with John. You know, he so- can he can get hit. His defense is not is just not there on that situation. Okay, gentlemen. So in New York, May twenty eighth, it's a pay per view on Showtime Boxing. We've got a title fight: Jovante Davis versus Ro- Rolando Romero. Twelve rounds for Davis's WBA uh, regular lightweight title. Uh, comments. I mean, I like Davis by a lot. I don't see why people are you know, considering this a close fight, to be honest with you. I think Davis is on a, about at least one level up. That's yeah. my opinion. Uh, so I think they're just trying to make something out of nothing here. I, there's nothing to see here. Ooh. I mean, I see about seven, eight rounds and he flattens them. I agree. Totally. It's, uh, it's a, it's a last cover contract fight. Uh, that entity is making sure that the money is spread around somewhat to Roley. They're rewarding him for not messing with that girl for real. Uh, you know, they already put in so many uh, pieces mm. of, of, of funding in for the fight. So they're able to, re, you know, to, to at least get out of that what they put in. Uh, Roley is absolutely too slow. It's going to be a surgical type beating. And if you've never been knocked down, you've never been hurt, you've never been knocked out, your, your ego makes you stand in there. And it's better to be knocked out. So you just be concussed and you can go about your life. But when you take a beating like 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 uh, uh, um, Wilder took and the beating that Ugas took and Roley's going to stand there and take that beating like that, you don't come back from that. 
So yeah. I'm hoping he goes ahead and get knocked out quick, quickly so he can continue. But if he stands in there, he's going to take some really, really wicked stuff. And our boy does not care for him. You know, you know the talk, you know, the vernacular, the street and all that. So he's really going to beat on him and back off of him and get back on him and get back off of him. Ooh. Get on him and get back off of him. He he wants to punish this guy. So uh, uh, he's he's throwing some shade at Flo at the same time. Oh, man, it's it's... <laughs> Harold, this is Harold, beyond, Harold just, dropping just the news. I, I couldn't agree more. And all the stars are aligning for a beatdown. Then he's going to punish him. <laughs> you guys yeah, are making it real bleak for Roly. So. <laughs> Poor Roly. That's all I got to say. <laughs> you just, you guys carved out a very bleak future for Roly Romero. Uh, Roly, you know, I'm just saying I'm going on the record. You know, I, I wish you well. I hope you do great. You know, it is a tough fight and, you know, Tank is uh, called Tank for a reason. So, you know, let's just leave it at that for now. We're going to come back to that at a later podcast for sure as we get closer to that fight. And finally, the last fight uh, in our Prevy, in our view, is the Shakur Stevenson against Oscar Valdez, which actually is the one that makes me really, really excited. Harold, what you got? Are oh, you giving it to Paul? Throw it up to Paul. I mean, Shakur Stevenson has looked like fundamental, the most fundamentally sound fighter I've seen in a while. Well, not in a while. Mayweather's the most fundamentally, most fundamentally sound fighter I've ever watched. But uh, and he hasn't been going that long. But this guy's looking nice. I'd like to see him show a little more power as he ages. But, uh, I mean, I... Obviously, uh, Valdez is a tough assignment, but uh, Shakur really seems to have the discipline and game plan to to knock off almost anyone. So, and from what I've seen so far, I, I like what I see from him. I haven't really seen him buzzed or touched yet. Mm. Um, well, I'm excited to see this see. fight. I think Oscar Valdez is is a different breed. So, that's going to be a great fight. That's all I can say. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning towards Valdez a little bit. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean I I wouldn't I wouldn't I'm no with no confidence. Right. No so you're, confidence. you're talking about upset. You're talking about like headline. You know, Sunday morning headlines. Val, you know, Valdez does it. Valdez does the impossible. Right. Dethrones Shakur. Yeah, I get it. So, and I, and I agree. Well, I think he has the ability to do that. Well, you know, uh, Shakur is one of my favorite fighters, and I'm going to just briefly say this um <laughs> he was on record saying that he wanted to fight Floyd Mayweather one time and the commentator said which one you know which one did you want to fight he said uh not the pretty boy not the one who was knocking everybody out not the one who was aggressive physically right. I wanted to fight the one who had to use his mind and his guile and his experience to dominate fighters mm. not physically because I want to match up with him mentally, not physically, you know. So for him to be able to understand that there was two different Floyds and the best one was the one that was mental, that had the mental capacity and he wants to match up with him. So if this gentleman has that type of understanding of the, of the sport mentally and he does have, you know, hand speed and foot speed and, and he has the instinct mentally. I, I can't see anybody touching him. That's why I like him. Not because of the power, not because he can move. It's just that when it comes to uh, adjusting mentally, he's able to do so. And I've seen him do it so many times. So he's only going to get better and better and better. And to me, this is a walkover. 
Interesting. We'll yeah. find out soon enough. We'll find out soon enough, right? Yeah. Well, for those of you that are tuning in, if uh, you'd like to make a comment on that, you know, please do so. You can do that on uh, YouTube and uh, just enter your comments in the live chat. We'd love to know what you think. And uh, otherwise, um, we're going to leave that. We're going to leave that till fight night because. You know, that's going to be an interesting fight. And I don't, I wonder what DraftKings or, you know, some of the betting outlets actually have on that, on that particular fight, what the odds are. Does anyone know? Uh, wrong person. <laughs> I think for, for the masses, it makes sense to make sure core like a three to four to one favorite. Yeah. More people know the name. He's more popular in the mainstream. Um, so that would be the way to go. That's usually how it works. So I'm going to guess that. Shakur is going to be about a three or four to one favorite. Maybe it would be my guess, Mm -hmm. but the money is to be made on the other side on the Oscar Valdez side, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So but but, but a a casual fan never heard Oscar Valdez. He knows Shakur from the Olympics and everything else. So that's why you make it three to four to one. Right. It's probably not that it's probably a little closer than that for real, but I Mm. think that's where they'll set it at. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's switch gears and let's get into this topic, Harold. Um, Let's, I, I need the update on the Cuban government releasing fighters. Uh, look, can we talk a little bit about that? Can you lay that out for us? Well, we know in 1957, uh, Castro uh, banned uh, the Cuban uh, situation from being going pro uh, in an effort to uh, you know, keep, uh, what you want to call it, church and state, however you want to do it, away from you know mm-hmm. the, the, the masses from the world. And, uh, you know, as, as you know, you had all the defections and all those great guys, you know, the loss, a lot of their, their, you know, their situation, uh, to fellow Stevenson was offered a huge amount of money to fight Ali back in the day. And he couldn't do so because of that situation. There was a lot of lobbying for them to do that. Uh, you know, the, the, the world would have seen Cuba's, uh, style and all that, but he didn't let it happen. So it just recently been approved for them to, to do this. So their first thing is they got a, a Cuban team that's running around the world fighting other teams and they're being paid for this. And they're in a tournament. Wow. So what I'm looking at in the next six months or so, you're going to see people leaving. Uh, you have, you have all these promoters running over there now trying to snatch these guys up and get them over here. So in the next six months or so, we're going to start seeing them on the lower ranks coming on through. So I'm happy to see that. Uh, so, uh, John, talk to me about that. As a manager, what 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 are your thoughts about that? I mean, there's gonna be a bunch of like the Cubans are are historically great great fighters. So I mean, there's gonna be a bunch of talent out there. I mean, unfortunately, one way to look at it is they're going to, uh, lack of a better word, you're gonna be possible to swindle them. They're they're, they're you know any money's a lot of money, yeah. and I you know I hope that they're they're taken care of somehow. You know that that's a a situation where it, it, it could go bad. I mean, you're going to have uh, some guys worth a lot more than, you know, their values perceived to be and vice versa. It's going to be interesting how they, the, you know, the kind of contracts they get. And like I said, some people, I think most people are going to try to downplay their value to them. Uh, kind of like Rigandow. Uh yeah. He never made any real money. His biggest pay, you know, they, they, they're, they're almost like, what's the best way to put it is they're coming from nothing as far as money goes. So they're happy to get any, and that, that's always a recipe to be able to screw somebody. And I hope that's not the case here. So I hope they fall into the right hands more than anything else. Well, Paul, what do you have to say about that? Because that sounds like you're going to be getting a lot of clients. 
<laughs> that goes down well, like that. Make sure they didn't get it worked. Yeah. Um, but my concern is actually a little different when I started hearing about Cuba allowing it. I'm wondering if there's a catch there. If uh, there's some, you know, what, you know, what happens if these guys that defected come back to fight in Cuba? I mean, would they even feel comfortable doing that? But as far as the new talent coming in, yeah, I mean, certainly uh, to John's point, I mean, these guys don't know two bottle caps and a dead frog for a million dollar contract. They just see money <laughs> that they don't otherwise have necessarily. Right. So, Right, and uh, that could be uh, obviously it's been taken. Boxing is not short on situations where fighters get taken advantage of that don't know what their their value is. <laughs> well, I do think there's one bright spot. There's one bright spot here that that um, uh, should be noted, and that is that uh, these fighters that are coming and getting this opportunity to fight in America that could be really really great. For the boxing for fans, sure. the boxing fans uh, will be treated to you know, you know, a variety of of different weight classes and fighters that you know have previously not been seen at all. So, and the Cuban team is is outstanding. So, I think that for there's this, there's uh, something to be said for if if you're a boxing fan where you may be getting uh, more than your money paid for if you get a chance to see some of these wonderful fighters. If I was a mid-level promoter, I'd be salivating because I can pick up three or four of these dudes, yeah. man, and run around on this middle circuit and just kill because this guy's <laughs> going to have to – he's, he's got it. He's got – now, he won't have any opposition, but he's got it. Yeah. And just because you've got one or two and, you know, you're on the mid-level and they're 0-1 or whatever they are, they're going to be on point. So Right. Uh, the average fan who goes to the club level, they will be happy in the next six months or so because they're going to see some real skilled guys on that level. Yeah, that, that, that that's actually a great a great point. It's going to be a, it's going to be great for the mid level guys. You're right to be able to get into the mix. Someone's going to you know rise to the top from there, and you're going to have a mid level guy that has a big time fighter with low risk. He's not going to have to pay a lot of money for him, or as much as he'd have to pay for say like a an Olympian from the United States. If I'm a mid-level promoter and I've got one Cuban fighter, I'm on point. Uh, I'm going to sell. I'm going to have good shows. Wow. Agree. Has yeah. anybody, speaking of that, has anybody heard of Rigondeaux's situation? Is he doing any better? Oh, right. I haven't, I haven't seen anything since the initial report on the burning. I look every day to try. Like The guy's in my prayers. I really want him to recover from that. But, I mean, they said at one point he could barely see light. But they did say, like, if the first 48 hours is going to matter as to what happened. So I'm really I'm really hoping for a full recovery for that guy. I mean, uh, that guy, just a hard luck kind of guy. Can I just ask yeah. you to yeah. just, um, you know, expand upon that? Just get a little deeper into what you're speaking yeah, about. So he, he was cooking rice in a pressure cooker. It blew up in his face, and he was 100% blind. Oh. He couldn't – he saw black. And then they said the next day he was able to, to see, like – light from the sun and they were excited about it. And I was checking every day, every day I get up and I Google it every day to see about an update on his condition. And there's been absolutely nothing. So I'm just hoping he at least gets to the point where he can have like a a normal life. I mean, if you're, if you're just seeing the the, light from the sun, that's no way to live. You know? So I'm really, that's the truthfully honestly, I wake up every day concerned that I'm hoping to get some kind of, uh, I'm not even worried about him fighting. I'm just worried about the poor guy being able to see. Yeah, for real. I mean, that's very serious business. Right yeah, it bothers me. I lost sleep over it. It's just a bad, I, I just, you know, I admire the guy tremendously and you don't want to wish that on anybody, 
But that's just disgusting. I mean, it's just yeah, that's sad. That's really that's terrible. I really news. want to know what's going on with the guy. I hope he's doing exceptionally well. Yeah. No, no. We all. I mean, our prayers are going out to Rigandell and his family, and uh, hope that he will uh, make a full recovery for sure. Uh, you know, losing your eyesight is is very very serious business, and and uh, yeah. So uh, we'll we'll be praying for him. The the the. The fans of the boxing breakdown, we ask that you guys pray for Rigandau. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a very, very sad bit, bit of news there. Um, so <clears throat> on another on another note, let's flip the switch and get up into the Spence versus Ugas recap, man. I, you guys, this is going to blow up right now. Get ready. All right. So uh, let's start with you, Paul. Uh, very thorough performance by Spence. Uh, actually, going in, I thought Ugas was just, well, he is deceptively good. I mean, he really put a uh, you know, played a tune on Pacquiao and adjusted nicely in that fight to do what he had to do. And I thought if Spence had lost a step at all between all the various uh, medical issues and delays and getting back into the ring, Ugas was not going to be a, a great night for him, but he made the adjustments. And really, uh, you know, the only particular criticism I heard of him afterwards is that, uh, you know, he, there's some suspicion that he was fighting closer than he used to. Uh, maybe some people were attributing that to his, his you know, his detached retina, maybe not seeing as well, not, and that's not fighting from as far away, but otherwise it was a pretty thorough uh, domination. And so the guy personally did not notice. I just saw him adjusting very well to the guy in front of him. You know, Ugas almost sort of mentally closing up shop, you know, trying, but, you know, as his eye got worse and worse, it, it just seemed like a lost cause after a while. And uh, props to him for gutting it out until he was told he couldn't. But it looked like the fight got away from him uh, as the eye started to close throughout those rounds. So yeah. uh, nice performance. I think he's, you know, it's, I think he's not an easy night for Crawford. I, I can't say he beats Crawford, but coming off of this fight or not, but uh, not an easy fight by any stretch of the imagination. I, I look forward to seeing that one finally. Yeah. So uh, Errol Spence uh, advances to 28 and zero with 22 win, uh, big wins coming by way of KO. Um, and uh, you know, the, the Ugas fight was uh, there was a TKO in the 10th round uh, stoppage because of the eye. And uh, Harold, what do you think of that stoppage? Well, just off the off the top, the first three rounds, as I said earlier, he was kind of frustrated. He was kind of throwing some power punches, trying to find his rhythm with 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 uh, Ugas. Ugas was in there with him. Um, he kind of settled down. Uh, he did have his mouthpiece knocked down. People said he was hurt and all that, but yeah. all of all of us here are student boxing. We know what we saw. It got knocked out of his mouth. He started looking for it. When you look for it. You take your eyes off your opponent and he got hit. Then he got hit again, still looking for that mouthpiece and got hit again. He bounced off the ropes. He was never hurt. He was never stepping in potholes. He just got knocked off his rhythm. I didn't think he was hurt at all. Then that next round, he started dominating. From that round on, he took control and dominated that fight. So in a sense, that mouthpiece being knocked out put him in another gear. And that other gear... He rolled that gear to the end. Right. Well, I mean, Ugas coming off of a really spectacular performance against uh, one of my all-time favorites, Manny Pacquiao, Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao, you know, him, him, uh, 
I thought he did an amazing job in that fight. And to watch him get beat down the way he did, I, I felt uh, particularly uh, sad for him, you know? I, I was at, so I was at, I believe it was Stavern versus uh, Ariola at the Galen Center. And he yeah. lost. And then, um, and Ugas was on the undercard. And he ended up falling to like something like 10 and three. And I remember thinking to myself, this poor guy is now going to be a trial horse. He's never going to make any real money. And I felt terrible. He was a, so he was a bronze medalist. And I just thought like, they just didn't move this guy. Right. Right. And I'm thinking it's over for the guy. So when he kind of brought it back together, he showed me something that I I didn't expect to see. He really, he, he regrouped, he got himself back on track. And I'm just so happy that guy made some real money in boxing. I almost don't care about the outcomes of these fights. Cause when I saw him at sitting at, I think it was 10 and three, and I'm saying to myself, what's going to, he's going to be a showbox B side. Right. He's going to make $10,000 a fight. And I truly saw that. Then he got himself, he worked his way back into a Porter fight and people thought he might've won that decision. It got himself and he's probably made $5 million. So that night when I saw him at the Galen center, I'm thinking he's never going to make any real money. What is this poor guy going to do with himself? Uh, so, you know what? I could care less about the outcomes of these fights. I'm just so happy. This guy got him back in the mix. He won a world title. And he made some real money. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. He came over here and it was, you don't, you don't understand how close it was to being over and he just never gave up. So that, you know, perseverance is, should be a model for everybody. Don't give up because you don't know what can happen. <clears throat> and he truly turned it into something good. And I'm so happy for the guy. Yeah, man. And I mean, he's his- Cuban, which means that he can be a role model for the ones that are coming over because he has splashed his wealth and cars and money and women. He got a fine woman. Uh, on media, so the rest of the world can see how he came from, and he defected three times. You know, they caught him twice. He had to go back and forth. So he's got a great story. Oh, I yeah. think one of his problems, uh, John, was he never embraced the English language. Uh, but yet his his work ethic caused him to get those those good fights. So, uh, he, and he did go a, a road that some American fighters couldn't go. They couldn't lose those kind of fights and still get his opportunity as he did. And he took advantage of it. So, um, you know, he's a role model for the Cuban fight. He's a role model for any fighter who has lost more than three fights, right? And he'll still get some work out of this this fight he had with uh, our boy Spence. You know, so. Uh, uh, as you said, when he was 10 and three, it was a negative situation, but he did turn himself around and he is somewhat of an American type boxing, not dream, but accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And He's if you look at the losses, I mean, I, in hindsight, as it's happening, you have a different take on it because they're all prospects beating him. In hindsight, if I'm not mistaken, I looked at it later on down the road and he lost to tough fighters. So he just got, you know, he just bad breaks and tough fights. He, you know, these probably shouldn't have been in. Look at that point, the way things are done now, but he, he made it work. He lost to Johnny Garcia back in, I mean, that goes way back. Um, let's see. Johnny Garcia was back in. I think it was 13 or 14. Yeah, it was 2012, actually. Oh. Yeah, 2012. And then he lost, uh, he lost to Emmanuel Robles in 2014. <clears throat> followed with a, that, so there were two losses in a row. The, the next loss was Amir Ahmed Imam. He lost against uh, yeah, Amir Imam. He he was a pretty name fighter. Yeah, but that's the one I'm talking yeah. about at the Galen Center in Los Angeles. After that, I'm looking at it thinking like this guy's done. Yeah, there's no there's no no bright side <clears throat> in this one. I'm, 
I truly believed he was going to be a B-side on Showbox fights, getting beat up by guys that were 12-0. and 0. And it certainly didn't turn out that way. I, I well, mean, he, so. put, he put together eight straight wins after that fight. And then he lost to Sean Porter, you know, the gatekeeper. <laughs> Which was a very, very, very close <laughs> fight. And most people thought he won. <clears throat> yeah, it was a split decision. It, was a t- uh, 12, it went the full 12 rounds and it was a split t- decision loss. I think the, the scores were 113, 115, 112, 116, and 117, 111. So, yeah. And then, you know, now he has this loss against Errol Spence. But um, I think more to the point is it's more about the orbital orbital bone breakage because this particular loss, what, what, what concerns me about that is when you, when you, when that happens to your orbital bone, I don't, I can't imagine that that is an easy fix. You know, it's not something you can naturally come back and fight at this level again. It's not going to be easy. I don't know that he could beat anybody at the elite level. I think he's like not a full level down, but a, like about a half a level down. I think he's I an agree outstanding with fighter. And I just think that he reaches maximum potential. Yeah. And that's all anybody could ever hope for. He did it. He made a lot of money doing so. He had a good career and he came back from the dead as far as boxing it was 10 and three. Yeah. How many people come back from 10 and three to be beating Manny Pacquiao? Hello. Got, yeah, as I said, Pacquiao's on his resume. Right. Exactly. So, you know what? I'm happy for the guy. I'm not going to take this as a bad thing. I look at it more like, and we all understand this. We're on the boxing business. It's getting to the big fight more than winning it. It's harder to get there than win it. Yeah, for sure. You know, know, very few people get there. I was reading something a a, a little while back. I think 1% of all fighters ever have a $10,000 payday. People just get under the assumption like Floyd's making 50 million. (laughs) So the guy in the co-main must be making 10 million. I had a fighter I was I was handling at one point. He got offered a co-main event on uh, Manny Pacquiao. Uh, I'm not sure who was going to be. I'm sorry, a Canelo Alvarez co-main event on a pay-per-view. What do you think we were offered for that fight? Co-main event on a Canelo Alvarez pay-per-view. Co-main event, even fight. What do you think the purse offer was? 15000 180000 So it ain't $5 million <laughs> like people think. So and, and and if people don't understand when you see these cards and say that's a really weak card, you got to pay the guys. The better the fight is, you got to pay them. So if you're paying a main event guys fifty million dollars, you don't have money to pay the co-main event ten. Yeah, for sure. So you try to put something together that people want to see that's competitive, but it's certainly not going to be a big fight most of the time. <clears throat> the Don King days are over with four guys fighting for you know multiple titles. Right. Well, don't tell him that. I'm not saying a word. I won't say a word. Yeah. So, all right, let's move it. Let's move right along. We're we're cruising right here for bruising. We are on to what happens to Errol Spence next. What? Where does he go next? We know uh, there's uh, Bud. Bud. Bud is in the mix. So I wonder if you guys want to chop that up a little bit. Let's talk about uh, Terrence Crawford. I'll I'll jump on it right quick. Go. I'll be succinct. in the ring, when he said, I'll go and take his uh, S-H-I-T also, that was great. Uh, when the fight was over, uh, he said that he wanted to uh, unify. That was great. Um, he's been uh, tweeting and all that uh, in the past three or four days that he wants to do that. Uh, his, his tweets have been answered by a bud uh, directly. Uh, so they have decided they actually want to fight. So as far as I can see right now, 
if the fighters have any kind of clout, which uh, Esquire would know, and of course, uh, John, mm-hmm. you would know, if they really want to fight, it, it can happen, regardless of what the political situation is. Now, Bud is free as of, he doesn't, he's not handcuffed. And uh, uh, we know uh, uh, Spence, uh, basically, he can call his shots somewhat, only because he does so well at pay-per-view. But can't do pay-per-view yet, but he will just because of, you know, the furor that's being put together because of these two. So I look forward to that fight. I think it's going to be great for our generation. You know, we're all still kind of young. You know, we don't have to go back and say, oh, I remember when. We can actually say that this is happening during <laughs> our lifetime. Let, let, let me ask you this, guys. What do you think? I mean, Lennox Lewis and Riddick Bowe didn't happen. I, Lennox Lewis stalked him everywhere. He was... He, I mean, Riddick Bowe did everything he could in his power not to fight Lewis. That's the reason that didn't happen. Why hasn't this happened yet? Like, what's the real reason? Not what we're hearing and this and that, because uh, you're 100% right. This could happen if they want it to happen. What's the real reason this fight has not happened yet? I think it's because he was handcuffed to Bob. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think there's that top-ranked PBC divide for a while that uh, kind of got in the way of that, unfortunately. I think it so comes down to money. I think it comes down to money. Avoid it. Okay. Uh, it's money. It's money. Not enough money to pay. Uh, just not enough money to pay what he's looking for. Well, they're they're saying that they make it 10 apiece. Decent day. Well, I mean, I mean, we far be it for us to speculate right here on the boxing breakdown because that's all we ever do. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, the the list of why Terrence Crawford, you know, hasn't been in the big fights, um, the list is long. I mean, you, you can, you know, and it's and it's continually evolving. It's still evolving, you know. So I mean we're just we're just excited that they're talking about putting this fight together. Let's see if it gets out of the war room. If it gets out of the war room and it actually gets on on the uh you know to the marketing people's tables and it actually, you know, gets out to the world, that would be amazing an amazing thing. Well, Floyd is campaigning very hard to get uh a bud to sign. Now, Bud doesn't speak, but Floyd sure does. So if them right. two can get together, he'll have a built-in mouthpiece. He'll have a yeah. built-in platform to get himself aligned with Spence because Spence does speak, and he is volatile, and they will have some, some nice press conferences. If they do that five, six, seven-city jaunt of the press conference, it, yeah. it's going to be all that we want it to be. Right. Because without fail, you let it simmer long enough, it loses everything. Like, tight, I mean, who would even pay to see Wilder versus AJ right now? Five years ago, that they could have split a hundred million dollars in England. Now they get you get get two million apiece if they're lucky. So you let it simmer. We can name fifty fights that that simmered too long and never happened. And I just think they better take the money when they can get it, just in case it's boxing. You know, they're eventually going to lose to somebody, or anything could happen, or whatever. So I think they better hurry the hell up if they want to make this as big as it could be. It it, it simmered long enough. The speculation is November. Okay, that would be perfect. Yeah. All right. So let's move right along. Let's move to the Fury versus White. Tyson Fury against Dillian White is happening, Harold. It's happening. Not only how big is it happening? Tell us. The largest fight in the 21st century, 94,000 people. Wow. Bought tickets. 
But the split is atrocious. 80-20, my gosh. <laughs> but, 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 but we don't know what the back end is going to be for white. We don't know how it's going to be compensated for white. We, we don't know that. They haven't you know, uh, said that right now. Uh, <laughs> it's on some President's Day, some King's Day, something over there in Europe that is a, a monumental day like our President's Day or whatever happened over there. So that that is hyped also. Um, we know White has this great backstory. You know, he was 13 when he came over here. He dropped a kid at 13. He got all these kids, this, that, and the other. You know, he's he's gone through. He's been shot. He's been stabbed, this, and that, and the other. So there's a lot there with him as far as just his backstory is concerned. And then we got, the you know, Fury's backstory, the drugs, this, that, all. So all of that has parlayed into 94,000 people sold out for this fight. That's incredible. That's quite an accomplishment. I mean, if you're part of that, uh, count the money team, if you're part of the, if you're a COO or, you know, CFO of that company, uh, that's, that's quite a, uh, that's amazing that they were able to do that. You would have told me three years ago, there'd be a fight selling that many tickets over there. And and AJ wasn't in it. I tell you, you're crazy. Right? Right. Exactly. Agreed. Agreed. So this is big news, people. I mean, this is a big fight. Um, and, and quite honestly, I, I've been hearing uh, on the wire a lot of news, uh, a lot of people feeling that, you know, Dillian White can upset Tyson Fury. I don't know if that's just fodder for the for the cannons or if that's, if, you know, what do you guys think about that? Are they going to let him use a, uh, weapons like a hammer or a knife? Dillian White. That I listen. I did not say that. Dillian White. I I was just asking the question. That was John Mareska. Yeah, that's who said that. So <laughs> White the top. White's tough, battle tested, but he also has shown himself at times to be a bit shinny. And I think uh, end of the day. Fury's not a one-punch guy, but he knows how to find you repeatedly. And uh, I think that'll make the difference unless he happens to ace him. And uh, just uh, but even if he does drop him hard, we saw him get up in the first Wilder fight. So right. uh, Fury, like Terminator 2 or The Undertaker, whatever comparison you want to make. So yeah, I just really, really had, I'm sorry. Somebody, was it? Because they just had to, really had to destroy Fury to uh, to leave him to leave him on the canvas for the full count. And I don't see him now pointing him necessarily either, unless he has to drop him several times. So this doesn't look like an easy easy path to victory for White here. I don't think it'll be a complete route, but I, I don't think it'll be an easy path to victory. Right, he'll be he'll be in it, but he won't be in it, kind of thing. He'll he'll hang right. off a little while, but he he'll never be a real threat. That's how I I, I take it. Yeah. And if you're a big a fan of white, you can convince yourself he's in the fight, and you know how that goes. But yeah. it's not going to be the case, right? I just look at the last his losses. I look at White's losses. You look at those fights. He's a beat too slow. Period. Mm. Mm. He will get touched up. <laughs> yep. Style nightmare for him is it's a style nightmare. This is an absolute. You can't get a worse worse style matchup. It couldn't be any better for Fury, and and, and no worse for White. That's wow. why he's calling for the knockout. That's why he's just verbally abusing White. That's why White <laughs> is not even speaking during the press conferences because he know he can't out talk him, can't do it, and he knows that 
I'm in a situation where I really mean I'm not going to win. So instead of me getting beat down at the press conference and everything else, I'll just keep my mouth shut and I'll take my beating like Wilder took his. Harold, I don't think anybody's told. I don't think anybody has told Dillian White that. So any boxer who doesn't think they're going to win, you know, you don't want to handle them. Like when you manage fighters, if they don't say, Hey, you want to fight this guy? If they don't ask you when and where you probably shouldn't be handling the guy. Right. You you shouldn't put him in that fight for sure. I mean, yeah. And, and, and any fighter that doesn't think he's going to win a fight is probably not going to be very successful. I know guys, you know, loss after loss, they still want to fight the best. And that's the, that's the the real champions. They want to fight anybody whenever they can. White truly believes he's going to win this fight. I have no doubt in my mind about that. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move right along then here into the Charlo versus Castano fight. The rematch comments and oars or butts. I, mean, I think, I think Charles' point good. earlier on motivation was an interesting starting point for that one. But oh, go ahead, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, just you know, we know what's going on with that. We know it's a, you know, it's been rescheduled, and we know we're going back to there. And the best part about it now is all old news. The new news is Bud is saying, "Well, if if, if Spud if, uh, Spencer want to fight me, I'll go up there and I'll." Uh, I'll fight. I'll fight the winner between those two. I'll move up and wait and go take Charles' belt. Right. So Charles been running his mouth. Oh, I'm pissed off at you for saying that, and I'm pissed off at what's the name of saying that. But uh, Bud is like, hey, I want all the smoke. So right now, Charles' motivation is not to, to be undisputed. It's to 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 shut Bud up because Bud's saying I, I can come up there and take and take yours, all four of yours at one time. So that's what I see right now between them. So the rest of the all the stuff between them, I don't even care anymore. It's old news. It got postponed. It's going to happen. So what? Mm, mm. Well, I mean, look, we got to talk about it because it is news, right? So, and it's big news because a lot of things, a lot of the cards, a I'm lot of the it right now. I'm, I'm yeah, I, I feel that. I like it. You're you're on fire tonight, bro. Like like it's wonderful. It's wonderful to hear you so jazzed up. I, and you're coming across on the screen for the listeners or for the viewers. I mean, you are crystal clear, man. You look beautiful right now. <laughs> and you're sounding really good. The only thing that concerns me is that you guys are not giving Brian Castano the credit that this guy deserves. This guy is a banger. He can fight. Yeah. I mean, but he can he fight. Can this isn't. Can I mean, we're talking about Charlo, but Castano could be the guy standing there at one at one fifty four. No, absolutely. He had his best performance when he fought that guy the first time. He was mentally, physically there. He gave it all. He, he mm. that was it. He can't recreate that. He can't. Wow. He, can't. he doesn't have the capacity to do it. He's done it. He blew his wad. Whatever you want to say, he's done. I know. He's there this time. He's not even going to have that kind of, of, of energy. <laughs> He's I, done. I know who's not going to the um, Dignity Health Center Park in Carson, California, <laughs> and who's not going to get front row tickets to this fight. Uh, well, at least not on the uh, you know on the blue side. So, you know, if you, if you 
thought to call uh, Brian Castano for some tickets. It's probably not going to work out for you, Harold. I'm, I'm just looking at the fight, man. <laughs> women are women go on uh, uh, emotion. Men go on facts. Yeah, and facts are he fought his best fight. I mean, he was on point. But how mm. many times can you create that, John? You know this. Mm. No, hundred percent. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it, he had his chance. He probably get overlooked a little bit. It won't be the case this time. You'll have a, a, a more motivated, prepared Charlo, and he won't be taken by surprise if that was. the Everything points to exactly what we're being told right now. Hmm. I don't think it's going to be a good fight. I, well, I think well, it's going to be a, a pretty wide decision kind of thing or a late stoppage. So check, never the, competitive. so check this out. The last time they fought was in uh, July 17th of 2021. And uh, it was a split decision uh, loss for Castano. It went to 12 rounds and the scores were 114 to 114. 117 to 111 and 113 to 114. That's how close that fight was. It wasn't, it wasn't a walkover at all. Yeah, Harold's right. It's going to be this time. All right. Well, we're just going to have to see. We're going to have to wait until uh, May 14th for the rematch. And, you know, I'd like to pump up the fights for you guys. Uh, whoever's putting on this fight, I can't, quite remember who the promoter is for that fight, but gotta be a PBC show. Gotta eh, be. It's probably a PBC show, but whoever, whoever's putting it on, you know, don't forget to send the check to the boxing breakdown. We would appreciate that. <laughs> um, you can always send us a check and mm. we will, we will make good use of the funds. Um, thank you very much in advance for that. And um, yeah. And don't forget if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button down below. You know, we just started our YouTube channel and we're really uh, excited for it and um, we're hoping to grow it. And so you can help us do that by hit the like and by hitting the like and subscribe button and notifications for when we go live. And so now finally, let's get into um, Paul. You have some very, very um, interesting news. I wonder if you could lay it out for the fans. Listeners, uh, I could, I could try um, by virtue of the fact that the complaint itself is a bit, uh, sort of a hydra beast in some respects. Um, but uh, what you have in uh, federal court in Pennsylvania is a lawsuit filed within the last week or two, where um, a promoter, um, uh, as Edward Mendy. Uh, and a couple other individuals, including two fighters, filed a lawsuit against um, notably BoxRec and then the Association of Boxing Commissions, but also Daniel Kinahan and a few others are named in there, essentially saying that because, and there's a lot, a lot of stuff to unpack. I mean, it could almost be its own episode if this was more of a CLE than a boxing show. But, right. Uh, it, you know, essentially what, what Mendy and the others are saying is that they staged certain fights in the United Arab Emirates that because of uh, an issue with uh, Kenahan's point man there and they report other things as far as box and association, the boxing commissions, the fights didn't get recorded as fights that actually took place. And they're claiming uh, all sorts that they're claiming some sort of antitrust violation. They're claiming a racketeering conspiracy 
they're claiming uh, some sort of civil rights claim. I'm not, uh, it's just a, it's a sort of a meandering, far-reaching, but ultimately hard to verify. I see this being impossible to verify sort of complaint where I think the takeaway is, if you haven't read about this yet, that if it, if in fact box rec that's regarded right now as basically the best record keeper or the record keeper for boxing is leaving documentable fights off of its records for some reason or another, that troubles me, but I don't, it just doesn't feel like what's being alleged in the complaint, even if it has any basis in reality, could ever be proven at any point in court based on all the different um, the, the various uh, uh, claims and the, 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 the broad scope of them. Uh, I'm just not sure what they're going for here, but if it sheds a light on box rec, maybe not recording certain fights, um, that's problematic, but I'm just, this complaint as a whole to me, if I were, let's put it this way, if I were a defense counsel on this, uh, I'd be eating it alive on, uh, on the on its four corners because I don't feel like it makes out a claim for any of its causes of action successfully. But what it raises, I think, is more of the interesting part. And that maybe that is the point that, you know, if it goes to the boxing press and all of a sudden people are saying, oh, yeah, box rec didn't do right by me also mm. or ABC didn't do this for me also. You know, maybe it gets a discussion going there, um, right. but it just seems like a meandering. And uh, I'm not saying patently meritless. I'm saying on the on the causes of action, ultimately uh, mer- uh, meritless lawsuit. Probably. I, I have Paul. I have two questions for you. Two scenarios. Now, just two two interesting ones here. Okay. Um, maybe there's a criteria those cards didn't reach, and there's a rubric, and oh, you didn't do this, this, and this. Number one. Number two. Say like CBS decides tomorrow. You know what? We're not gonna we're not gonna cover the presidential election. Do they have to? Does Boxrec have to put it up there? I mean, it's not a government agency. It's like, oh, you know what? We didn't want to put it up. CBS doesn't want to cover the presidential election. We don't want to put those cards up. Well, well so that's an interesting two-part question. Um, I think to some extent, if you're looking to research, is a guy active? Um, how many fights does this guy that might be fighting have? You'd like to think that box rec covers everything without much discretion either way. Uh, what was the first part of the question there? I'm sorry. Like I, I box just... Rec just says like, you know, like I said, say CBS says we're not oh. going to cover the presidential election. Box rec says, you know what? We're just not going to put it up. Are they legally, do they legally have to? They're not yeah. a government agency. They do. Well, I think that's the, I think that's the problem. Like who's telling, like, you know, do they have to? I mean, for their own credibility, they should want to, but is there a legal obligation that spans internationally and finds its way having jurisdiction in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, wherever this is? I'm not so sure about that part. Paul, I, I believe... It's a wild, wild west. There's well, well, no well, regulation well. in none of our disciplines, period. And no avenue ever <laughs> in boxing is there any kind of regulation. So therefore, they can do or say whatever they want, and we have to go along with it, but that's the beauty of boxing, right? That's that regulation, that, that, that craziness. Paul, what are yeah. hold on, hold on one second, guys. Hold on, hold on one second. Because the way that I read the complaint, Paul, I understand yeah. the logistics is that the ABC is the governing body actually. And the governing body is the one who hires box rec as the sole recorder uh, but it but it actually spans it's ABC 
that actually hires BoxRec to perform the duties of collecting the data from all of the every sporting event. So, so is that is that correct? Do I have that correct? That's a good one. I think it recognizes BoxRec as the official record keeper these days, supplanting fight facts. The question is: Is ABC actually a government agency, or 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 any have any real regulatory power? De facto, maybe. In reality, I don't even think it's recognized as a quasi-governmental entity in the United States. I think it's more of a uh, gov- sort of a self-governing, collaborative, uh, uh, non-profit, uh, you know, in, in well, the United it's, States. Well, it's Association well, of Boxing Commissions, okay? So yeah. if, if it's the Association of Boxing Commissions, ABC is, and yeah. ABC is the one that's giving, as, as an entity, as an organization, if they are giving BoxRec the sole um, accountability to, you know, record and collect data on behalf of all boxing events, uh, and they're being paid to do that from the associations of boxing commissions, then in essence, they're an employee or a uh, a contractor of the Association of Boxing Commissions. No? Yeah. Well, yeah that, that wasn't clear what the relationship is, but w- what is interesting to me, though, is if BoxRec, you know, aspires to be that source and they know a fight took place, and in, in this instance, Mendy actually says in the complaint that the, all these fights from the United Arab Emirates or, or wherever they were were streamed. There's no question they actually happened, apparently. Right. Why, as just a collector of facts, would they not put that in the record, even with a question mark? Because I know they do unverified fights, too. Fights that they can't independently prove they have on BoxRec, or they have a question about They'll list them anyway, but know that there's a question about them. Why would they not have certain ones on is the most interesting question raised for me from the, from this matter. So, and to, that, you know, and to that point, if it was personal to the promoter, as he alleges... Uh, there was an interesting example, you know, I don't know if any of this is based in reality. It's just in the four corners of the complaint. They have to show and prove at some point. But, uh, you know, he, the promoter, supposedly disguised his identity as promoter on one particular fight card that featured a fighter that's one of the plaintiffs in the case. And that fight got recorded because he, he wasn't noted as being involved. But fights where he's known to be involved, he's claiming they didn't record them because of his his beef with you know, uh, various folks in the United Emirates, whether it's uh, Kenahan or people that are affiliated with them locally there. And uh, that's why it's an interesting issue, but I don't know if it's an interesting case right now. So it it goes back to my argument, like Channel 11 doesn't have to tell you about the Yankee game if they don't want to. Right. But if you're an official record keeper of, say, NBA basketball or something, you don't just leave off Nick games because of an issue with the owner. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. I, I mean, OK, so I'm seeing the legal hook comes in. The legal hook for this lawsuit is, <laughs> number one, uh, uh, ABC is a entity within the United States as a corporation. So that is a legal entity. Right. Then you have the boxing commissions, which are state entities. So if there's any legal, I mean, Paul, I don't know what I'm talking about, but if there's any kind of legal hook, hook uh, from any kind of government agency, anything that is funded uh, uh, by the federal government, those commissions are uh, funded. Uh, that ABC, their charter is a legal entity within United States, meaning they can be sued. I'm just speculating. They can be, but the issue is all the all the all, all, all the fight cards that they're talking about here 
or either in uh, United Arab Emirates or Zimbabwe. Yet he's claiming, you know, because grievances were done upon him about those cards and these items are, these entities are based in the U.S. and U.K. in the Boxrex case that there's, and he has jurisdiction to bring this. And there's a real jurisdiction question here too that's way too but, convoluted for me to even try to unpack, given all the different parties. But, uh, but Paul, but Paul, you've got that gangster. FBI is after him. With got fifteen million on his head, right? Okay. Because that American money was circulated over there, that gives FBI auspices to go over there and go get this man, right? So if American money was involved in Zimbabwe and whatever, then you have legal uh, uh, American um, what uh, interest, and maybe they that's a way to tie it in because the FBI is after this guy. Okay, and, and he and he's over there. Right. Well, I mean, you know, if they're using this lawsuit as an instrument to try to get at him for discovery or something else, um, good luck even hauling them in. I mean, to get it to a deposition or anything like that, because you know, even if they're to get jurisdiction in this case in, in uh, the federal court in Pennsylvania, you have several international based defendants, including Boxrack, Kinahan himself, Kinahan's local guy there in the, in the Emirates. They're, they're never going to they're never going to get served properly. That's going to yeah. If I had to guess, these people will never actually be served properly. Never be deposed. I mean, it just it just seems like it could have been. You know, if they're trying to focus on where to bring this or what to focus on, I mean, they're going for entities that are going. They've been taking shots at the dark ad unless they really put a lot of effort into international service. Can they argue though? Can can Boxer argue that there's no commission in these countries and maybe they don't put any uh, cards from these countries up? I guess. I can stream my two neighbors fist fighting tomorrow. It doesn't have to go on box rec. I mean, I mean, they, the point that Mendy makes yeah. in the complaint or the Mendy, the plaintiffs making the complaint is that they did record all the Kinahan linked fights in the United Arab Emirates that took place, but none of his <laughs> or, or several of his that were not recorded, even though he says he was the first person several years earlier to do fights in the United Arab Emirates. As soon as Kinahan came <laughs> in and they had problems, he's claiming his fights stopped getting recorded there. Why is he claiming they're not being recorded? Like, does he, does, what is the gripe? Does he, is he telling us that? Uh, boxers are looking inactive that actually have active professional careers that are signed with, that are signed or fighting with them. Uh, there's, there's a female fighter, Kabazan, and another, and a male fighter, uh, I think his last name is Benet, or I'm not sure how it's pronounced, where he, he's claiming these fighters are demonstrably active and it's not reflected on BoxRec. What is BoxRec gain? Like, what do they have to gain by not putting this up? I know why these guys are getting hurt. What do they, why would they do this? I mean, I think the inference he tries to make is that maybe there's an arm around them because of Kinahan's influence, but I don't know how he draws. It's not clear how that line is drawn in the, you know, by the end of the, the complaint. This complaint is just so you guys know, this complaint is 102 pages long. Yes. It's, it's an back. enormous <laughs> complaint. And, um, you know, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 12, at least 12 people named in the, in the complaint. Um, right. And Has Boxer responded. Um, they, I, I doubt they're even served yet. I mean, uh, honestly, with a U.S.-based case, there's something called the Hague Convention, where unless service is waived, there's a whole process right. that could take months to serve them internationally. Yeah, I mean, you ha- and you have so many, like you said, Paul's point was, there's so many people named here that to serve all of them is, I mean, this is a, a very, this seems to be 
it could be a very expensive suit that's been brought. And there's no attorney attached to it. All these people filed it pro se. That's another interesting point. (laughs) Interesting. No attorneys attached to this. Does that have to do with the fact that it took place outside uh, in the United Emirates or? There's no shortage of attorneys with that with law firms with talent wrestling together, international lawsuits. And they didn't get one for this case. I'm not going to read into it, but. They didn't get one for what seems to be a very far-reaching, potentially damning case if it has any basis in reality. So, yeah. Well, I mean, um, you know, with these kinds of things, I mean, they have to go through discovery, obviously, right? If right. they ever make it to discovery, if this thing ever gets to discovery, I mean, you're talking about a lot of discovery. Hey, but, where, yeah, where's, but, the, where's the retainer, right? <laughs> right, Paul? They couldn't drop the right-sized retainer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, if somebody came to me with this, first of all, I tell them this is impossible to ever get effectuate service on everybody. And yeah. second, I would tell them that I would need at least probably some sort of six-figure retainer to even try to tackle this from the get-go. Because the first thing you're going to get from probably several defendants, if they even get legitimately served, is a motion to dismiss professional right. insufficiency once you get down to the actual causes of action in the complaint. Right. I've seen, for example, they have a civil RICO claim in there. I've seen civil RICO. I litigate civil RICO. This isn't civil RICO. They don't have any specificity as far as what constitutes the acts that would that they're saying is racketeering. Wow. Nothing. There's nothing. I would eat that alive. That that cause of action itself. Right. Unless and, they, but they list that as one of the claims. Right. That's yeah. usually usually when you see that in a civil setting, it's more often than not. It's a, I'm not going to say all the time. It's a heavy handed tactic to try to get a settlement because if you could establish civil RICO, you get triple damages. Which, which brings me to um, the point. What is it that they actually want, Paul? What do you think they want? To me, to me, it feels like a rabbit punch. I think they want to put some light on that situation in very high profile. They didn't feel like they're getting anywhere trying to shoot it out with box rec and, and American or association boxing <clears> commission <throat> quietly. Uh, I think they saw an opportunity once the buzz started about Kenahan's underworld ties again to really kind of put him out there also. Uh, I just feel like, you know, it'll start the conversation like it's doing here. I, whether, but I realize they don't expect it to go anywhere in the court. I'd be very surprised. So, so in the, in the, act, in the actual suit in, in uh, on page three of the suit, it states uh-huh. on behalf and information in uh, on behalf, I'm sorry, on belief and information in 2016 defended association of boxing commission selected box rack as a sole boxing registrar empowered to perform record keeping under the boxing act and the Muhammad Ali act to, to the exclusion of fight facts, the extent encumbered and all others creating a monopoly in violation of the Sherman act. Well, the Sherman Act is an interesting claim, too, because, again, half of these entities are internationally based. You're creating right. a U.S. antitrust problem when you have an internationally based entity wow. that one organization is adopted. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, again, I mean, the, uh, the monot- you're saying monopoly, but I mean, they're only going to have one record. There's only one record keeper for probably every other sport. There's not going to be two or three. So does that even have any weight? Well, the, the question is, are they really blocking any other company from entry into that sphere, too? And really, if you had the resources, if Fight Facts, were, I don't even know if Fight Facts are still around or not, but 
if there's another group that could simply keep an eye on the world as well as box rec, by all means, nobody's blocking them from doing that. As far as I can tell, it's just that the association of boxing commission is, has well, decided that it needs one professional record keeper. And now it's box rec. And I told you what happened with that. They, they just, they, they were telling box rec for years. If you get to a certain percentage of accuracy, we can use you fight facts. Right. They didn't fight it. And you know, they were getting, you, you had to pay 30 bucks a pop to pull the records of fighters so I don't think they they fought too hard. I don't. I think I think they went under on purpose. I don't okay, think they were making okay. any real money. And Boxrec was around for a very long time, making money on ads on the right. site uh, anyway. So I mean, I don't think anybody cares too much to be like. At the end of the day, this is not a. It's not going to hit the news at any point, unless you know they find something way deeper that is the reason for this. Ninety nine point nine percent of the world could care less if they're keeping accurate records on Boxrec. Well, I well, can't disagree, but yeah, I mean, the really, I mean, the idea of a monopoly by by them, it, I don't know where that goes. I mean, let's take the only other monopoly comparison made recently in boxing history. A lawsuit, I believe, was between Golden Boy and, and Heyman. He was there alleging Heyman was engaging in monopolistic practices. So, and the court thought otherwise, even at the height of Heyman's powers, and pretty meticulously broke down why. And I think there was a lot more to play with. In that complaint than there is in this complaint as far as uh, any claims of monopolistic practices. And, and then so, what if before it goes to court, boxers, oh, you're right, we missed them all. Here they are. They're good now. Then what the right. hell? Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah then, oh, sorry about that. You know, we missed them. Here they are. Sue us some more. Now see what happens now. I, I mean, I, I just can't imagine. Is that a way to re- rectify it? Just throw the fights up? Yeah, you know, oh. you're right. We missed them. Thanks for telling us. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's why I think it's largely like a uh, largely I think it's a rabbit punch to them just to kind of put attention on the situation. Well, I can't see this getting anywhere other than that. So it's not just it's not just to Boxrec; it's also to ABC. In, uh, on, and the ABC. Yeah, I mean because they they go on to say further this action is brought under the Sherman Act, right? So they they cite the Sherman Act, it's the antitrust one. Yeah, yeah, and then they talk about they say. Um, ABC and BoxRec have conspired uh, with each other and with others to not only maintain a monopoly, but also because this monopoly and monopoly actions have caused the plaintiff harm. There's a interesting bit of language I love in New York case law. Um, <laughs> In reference to summary judgment in particular, where they talk about the mere incantation of a cause of action is not enough to, to sustain an action. And essentially what they're doing repeatedly in there is saying monopoly, racketeering act, racketeering conspiracy, conspiracy. Right. Okay, so you've said the words, but where is the substance when you come right. to get to the point of proving it, which is what I was having trouble with as I was going through. And you, the amount of witnesses you would need to say exactly what they think happened on information and belief is astonishing. Right. Yeah. They're alleging. Yeah. Well, right. You can't just claim it. You have to actually, you know, have, have the evidence to back it up. So Paul, what do you predict is going to happen with this? I was, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if U.S. side parties get served. That would be the association of boxing commissions. I'm not even sure if there's any other U.S. based entity that's being talked about. I wouldn't be surprised to see a motion to dismiss. Um, I wouldn't be surprised on the flip side to see perhaps an early resolution of this where it just goes away quietly. Um, I don't think it got the attention that maybe they're expecting it would with Kenahan's news making the rounds in the last week or two. Right. Um, 
I only saw it on Fight News, and I was able to pull down the complaint, and I was intrigued by it, and ran it by Mark, and I think we probably give you more attention than anyone has in boxing thus far. Even though, like I said, if it's if there's a if there's a real claim there that BoxRec for some reason holds out professional results, I don't want to know that. But right. <laughs> well, is it as big as what they're saying it is? Yeah. Well, time no, I don't think uh, so. again, no. you guys. Look, at the end of the day, time will tell. Time will tell what happens here, and whether or not this goes on to the next level. You know, I mean, we we don't know, Paul. You. I know you'll be keeping an eye on this one and, and I know that the, uh, I can. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, I'm, I'm curious why it didn't get more play given what it's, you know, what it's saying, but, uh, well, I did see, I did see an article come out, um, about it and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get into the article cause I okay, literally okay. just saw it hit the wire yesterday <clears throat> and, uh, I didn't have a chance to get into it. Um, but I, I read through this this complaint as much as I could. I mean, there's this a hundred and two pages. That's like yeah. you know, I I don't I pers- personally you know reading that much is not good for my brain. It's not good for my head for obvious reasons. But <clears throat> y'all know. But we don't have to get into that on the broadcast. But you know, it's it's um yeah. So so I haven't gotten into it that deep. But any in any case. Um, it's, it's bad news for box rec and ABC and it's something that we're going to have to, uh, come back to. And I hope, uh, I'm sure the folks at box rec and ABC are already on it and they're handling it and they're yeah. doing what they have to do and we wish them well and hope they can work it all out. And, um, you know, we look forward to, uh, you know, being able to see our fights and, and, and the fights of all these incredible fighters up on box rec. So, cause it's, it's what we all uh, go to and and certainly you know the listeners uh, or the viewers that are watching the broadcast today can't see, but much of the information that I gather is presented right in front of me, and some of it is coming directly from those sources. So you know we rely upon you know these sources to deliver us you know accurate information, and we hope that it stays that way. And I, um, John, and uh, Paul, we, you know, really want to uh, thank you guys for being on the program tonight. And Harold, it's always a pleasure. Um, We're rounding out an hour and a half broadcast, which is one of the longest ever in the history of uh, the boxing breakdown. But, you know, I mean, look, us four can talk about boxing for, for an eight hour day. We could do this all day long. And it's oh, to the benefit of our fans. I want to thank you guys for being on the broadcast, really. Um, and for those of you listening in, thank you. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, notifications, and join us on Instagram, Facebook, and um, Twitter, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, tune in to The Boxing Breakdown, and we will see you on the next episode shortly. Thank you guys. Peace and love. Thanks again. See you Thank later. You so much.
Fight fans, join host Mark Roxy and special guests as they break down all aspects of the boxing world, including news, business, management, training, promotions, fan reactions, upcoming events, matchups, future boxing stars, title fights, state of the boxing world, and all the stuff you don't see when you watch boxing. This podcast is released each week on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Live streamed on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook Live. It's the Boxing Breakdown, hosted by Mark Roxy.